0: When we talk about the migration issue at the U.S.-Mexico border, it can feel kind of nebulous, distant, right? If you don't live in one of the states on the border, it can sometimes feel like somebody else's problem. Well, over the past year, that has really started to change. What's happening right now is, is, is bonkers. It is really what Texas is doing
1: is bonkers. Republican governors, like Texas's Greg Abbott, have transported tens of thousands of migrants to so-called blue cities, like New York City. And now, some of those cities are being overwhelmed by that influx of new migrant arrivals. Nearly
2: 3,000 migrants are sleeping on floors of police stations and airports.
1: Tension is flaring between Illinois leaders and the White House for more help.
0: When we have every single hotel room in the city full of uh, migrants that have arrived, that's unsustainable. Border officials say that is just a taste of what is happening on the ground in places like Texas and Arizona. So as lawmakers get together in Washington to try to hash out a fix, do the solutions actually need to stretch nationwide? My guest this week is CNN senior national correspondent, Ed Lavendera. He's based in Texas and has covered the border for years. Today, we're going to talk about the rhetoric versus the reality and what it all has to do with threats of a government shutdown. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Rind. Ed, where do I find you today?
2: I'm I'm in Eagle Pass, where we have been covering the visit of more than 60 Republicans to the border.
0: Right, and it's 2024, and because politics are so you know, in the air right now, I kind of wanted to get a reality check of what is actually going on at the border right now. So what is the state of play as we talk here on January 4th?
2: Well, we're coming out of what has been one of the historically most busy uh, months that uh, border authorities have ever seen in the last 20 years, more than 225,000 people uh, illegally crossing through ports uh, between ports of entry uh, along the U.S. southern border. Those are numbers that we have not seen uh, in, in more than 20 years. So it, it's a, wow. sig- a significant jump. But what has happened in really the days since Christmas and in the new year, the flow of migrants between the ports of entry crossing illegally has really uh, plummeted
0: drastically. And what do officials chalk that up to, that that dramatic drop?
2: You know, I, I find that sometimes it's kind of hard exactly to pinpoint one specific reason. There are traditional ebbs and flows to the the way migrants uh, travel to, to the southern border, um, and that can be affected by many, many things. Uh, but we also do know, um, and we've picked up in the, in the last couple of days, some reporting on uh, anecdotal stories of what people on the other side uh, from Eagle Pass in Mexico are seeing. And that is that in recent days... That there are immigration checkpoints that Mexican authorities have set up uh, in the states that kind of border along the region. And we've been told by several people in Mexico that some of those checkpoints have really kind of stepped up robust operations. So that could really slow down the, the number of people getting to... Uh, the Rio Grande. And this comes days after, uh, you know, high level U.S. Uh, officials visited with the Mexican president. Um, and that could also be, you know, part of the negotiations that were happening there, uh, asking Mexican authorities to to step up their enforcement on immigration issues on, on their side of the border. So that could play in, into this as well.
1: Well, we want to thank all of you for being here today. Uh, I want to thank all of my colleagues for joining me here in the epicenter of the uh, of the crisis that we're having on the border here in Eagle Pass, Texas. It's been quite a day.
0: So you mentioned that dozens of House Republicans came down to the border to see what's going on. How does that fit into this? Like, what are they looking for in terms of fixes? Well, the House
2: Republicans who visited Eagle Pass, more than 60 of them, came at a time where on the Senate side, there's a bipartisan group, a small group of senators that have spent the holiday break trying to negotiate some deal On border security measures
1: our position is very clear and we have made that uh, clear again for seven months hr2 is the necessary ingredient why because it has provisions that fix each of these problems and these things
2: the problem is is that the the house has passed its own version of that and as you can imagine it's going to be much more conservative um, and kind of get into the things that uh, the most conservative members of the Republican House caucus will vote for
1: for example, you couldn't just reform the broken asylum process and allow this parole system to remain broken. It would be a giant loophole that would not solve the issue. You can't just build the the wall without ending catch and release, without restoring Remain in Mexico. These are the, the policies and the provisions.
2: And they are convinced that whatever the Senate comes up with, it's not going to reach what they want to see. So I think, um, and we heard this yesterday from many of those uh, Republicans in Eagle Pass, you know, using this visit as a way of really ratcheting up the pressure on the Biden administration to accept many more of the policies that they would like to see implemented in these in these border bills.
0: Also, well, if it doesn't seem like they're going to accept whatever the Senate comes up with, then guess what? What's the point of the Senate trying to ne- negotiate? Like, like, where does this go if, if both sides are kind of so dug in as it seems like they are?
2: Right. I mean, it does not look good at, at this point for any kind of compromise that's going to be able to pass both chambers of, of Congress. I will not vote for the funding of the government from that, that we're going to be doing in February and forward if we do not address the southern border issue. I, will not. I don't cover Congress uh, on a day to day basis, but I was struck by. Uh, just how many members that we spoke with yesterday are willing and talking about shutting down the federal government in the weeks and months mm. ahead, if they have to, to get what they want on this specific issue. Do you think that's a growing feeling among Republicans, that they're willing to shut down the government? Absolutely. I'm
1: from Illinois, which is a sanctuary state. Chicago, they're up there whining. we
2: — Perhaps if you cover Congress, you know, on a day-to-day basis, that's not as surprising, but from where I sit over here in Texas, I, I was a little bit surprised by that.
0: — I want to ask about the Texas of it all, because it seems like moves from Governor Greg Abbott and the state legislature do seem to be fueling a lot of the conversation around this and a lot of the problems that, you know, these blue cities are dealing with. So can you remind us what's been happening there specifically? Well, for the last year and a half, at at least, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has
2: um, implemented a a series of uh, plans and ideas uh, really kind of meant to bring this border issue to the forefront. Biden's deliberate inaction has left Texas to fend for itself. If we go back and and we look at uh, some of the things that they've done, he's stepped up uh, National Guard presence along the U.S. southern border. He's implemented a strategy called Operation Lone Star, which also involves sending uh, state troopers to guard various parts of the border. They've set up miles and miles of razor wire along Mm -hmm. the river's edge. In many places, there are massive steel shipping containers that are plopped down kind of like a makeshift Mm -hmm. uh, border wall as well. The goal of Senate Bill 4 is to stop the tidal wave of illegal entry into Texas. It creates a criminal offense for illegal entry into Texas from a foreign nation. Now, you know, the ironic thing about about all of this is that that kind of presence is easily seen along the river in Eagle Pass, but it really hasn't done anything to stop the flow of people crossing illegally.
0: Right, you just said it was a record month in December.
2: Right, and Eagle Pass is this this uh, area that this city that has become the focal point of all of this, and this is where uh, you have thousands of federal, state, local law enforcement officers, and and the you know the the steel containers, the razor wire, every tool imaginable to stop people from crossing, and yet. Eagle Pass is one of the areas that you've seen the most people cross. I spoke with one former state Democratic lawmaker uh, from Eagle Pass yesterday who we were standing there next to those shipping containers. And he said all of this has stopped literally zero people from crossing mm. the river if they wanted to.
1: Mayor Brandon Johnson
2: expects the number of migrants who have descended on Chicago to reach 20,000 in coming days. Migrants started arriving in August 2022 when Texas Governor Greg Abbott added
1: Chicago to a list of sanctuary cities where he planned to send buses, saying relief is needed for overcrowded southern border towns.
2: And all of that that I've just mentioned doesn't really take into account that perhaps what Governor Greg Abbott has really uh, become most known for is basically bragging about how many migrants he has shipped to Democratic-led cities across the country. Now, I know that cities like Chicago and New York, they've had it with regard to the influx of migrants to their locations. But I don't think they truly know the magnitude of the damage caused to the United States by Joe Biden. New York, Chicago, Denver, and other places um, in a way that many of those uh, Democratic leaders say is just reaping chaos and using migrants as political pawns uh, to do this. But despite all of that, the governor uh, he's willing to take all of that criticism uh, from Democratic leaders and says he will continue busing migrants, which has now you know reached thousands and thousands of people. You know, at one point in the summer, we had. 25, 30 buses showing up every single day without any coordination or any notification. He is now sending buses um, outside of the city of Chicago, in some instances, 100 miles away, where people are being dropped off. They're being
0: told that they are in the city of Chicago, literally dropped off um, in the middle of nowhere. Right, and we're seeing cities, you know, like New York and Chicago enact you know, kind of restrictions on on how these buses can kind of come in and when they should be notified. And that is kind of trickling down right to suburbs where some of these buses are, are kind of forced to go. And you get community after community kind of dealing with this down the line. Yeah,
2: you know, in in a odd kind of way, this busing is actually helpful to many of the border communities because what people and emergency officials in the, in these border cities will tell you is that, you know, the key to kind of Handling a surge of people is to keep them moving as quickly as possible, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember being in places like El Paso where you'd see these surges and one of the challenges that they face is getting migrants to the areas after they've been processed by Border Patrol and they've got an area where they're they're supposed to have immigration court dates in the future. Getting them to those areas as quickly as possible is actually helpful to border communities so that not everybody is stranded there. So it's it's not a good thing. In fact, I don't really think many people necessarily criticize the idea of busing people. I think what they're criticizing is the idea that they can't coordinate it and take the time to, to say, look, uh, you know, you've know, you got 100 people who are going to arrive here at 7 a.m. On, on a Wednesday. Be ready for that. Um,
0: right, and, and then these cities don't have anywhere to put them, and resources are strained there as well.
2: Correct, correct.
0: I think, I think that's the rub in all of this. So I guess bottom line... And and in like a perfect world where Congress was able to agree on some kind of uh, border policy, like would any of the fixes being talked about do anything to kind of solve this problem? Like just how intractable is this from your view?
2: Look, I've reported on the border since the mid-1990s to date myself here a a little bit. (laughs) Uh, um, And... Every administration for decades has struggled with, with this issue. You know, the numbers go, go up, but, you know, the, the underlying uh, factors are, are still probably the same. You have two political parties who could not be further apart on how to solve this issue. And there's no middle ground there. I there, haven't seen middle ground for, for, for years and years. For people who believe, you know, the the more cynical side of of politics, you know, there are a lot of people who argue that, uh, you know, both sides kind of like it this way. It it, it fits their their political Mm -hmm. motivations. And, you know, it's a rather cynical way to kind of look at all of this. But for many people, they believe that's the reality. Mm. Really interesting. Ed, thank you very
0: much. Good to be with you. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paula Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our senior producer is Fez Jamil. Our supervising producer is Greg Peppers. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Dan DiZula is our technical director. And Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. We get support from Haley Thomas, Alex Manissari, Robert Mathers, John Nora, Lenny Steinhardt, James Andres, Nicole Pesaru, and Lisa Namero. Special thanks to Katie Hinman. We'll be back next week with another episode. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening.